Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Red. My name is Pip Adam and um, yeah, this is episode 99 and the 13th in our Element series which we're running in 2021. Um, this I think is possibly our last episode on plot um, in that messy um, way that I have grouped a whole bunch of things around structure under the word plot. Um, this is a great episode. I get to talk to Ashtavita Jane about two poems. We talk about Kiss of the Sun by Mary Ruffell and Pool Party by Ashtavita Jane. Um, I'm very grateful to Ash for suggesting these two um, poems. They're just, they just form the basis of a really great conversation, I think. Um, very wide-reaching and uh, very interesting. It kind of blew my mind several times. Um, Ash will begin this podcast by reading um, the two poems. So after I stop talking, you'll hear the two poems being read. Um, but of course, you can read Paul Party in Ash's um, outstanding, amazing, incredible collection of poetry, How to Live with Mammals, which came out with Victoria University Press um, this year. Because um, of the Sun, um, Ash found a link for that poem, and you can find that on our website, better-read.com. Um, yeah, and then after Ash reads the poems, we start talking. There you go. And there's a short sort of exercise idea at the end that you can listen to if you would like. Um, I'd like to thank Copyright Licensing New Zealand um, who um, helped fund this. And um, yeah, I'm very grateful to that. Um, also just want to shout out the... Um, Institute of Modern Letters, um, where I am lucky enough to be writer in residence at the moment, and this was recorded in the writer in residence room, which was nice and warm and cosy and roomy and lovely. Um, applications for that writer in residence are actually open at the moment, and I'd highly recommend any writers who are who can spend a year in um, Wellington in um, New Zealand um, could have a look at that. Actually it may only be open to New Zealand writers, I'm unsure. I'll put a link on the website and you can have a look for yourself. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode and thanks heaps for listening. Kiss of the Sun by Mary Ruffell. If, as they say, Poetry is a sign of something among people, then let this be prearranged now, between us, while we are still peoples, that at the end of time, which is also the end of poetry, and wheat, and evil, and insects, and love, when the entire human race gathers in the flesh, reconstituted down to the infant's tiniest fold and littlest nail, I will be standing at the edge of that fathomless crowd with an orange for you, reconstituted down to its innermost seed, protected by white thread, in case you are thirsty, which does not at this time seem like such a wild guess. And though there will be no poetry between us then, at the end of time, the geese all gone with the seas, I hope you will take it, and remember on earth, I did not know how to touch it, it was all so raw. And if by chance, there is no edge to the crowd, or anything else, so that I am of it, I will take the orange and toss it as high as I can. Pool party. If you will not share your planet, I will go and make my own. And you are not allowed on it. It will be sweet and idyllic. My planet will have a moat. And my friends and I will go swimming every day and brush each other's hair until it shines. We will carry our oxygen tanks around all the time and make something fashionable of them. And how many moons shall we have? How many ways shall we soften the world to meet us? Will our bodies always yearn for the place we belong? On my planet, just as on Earth, newly hatched turtles will head for the ocean, tiny flippers going everywhere, trying to make contact with a home they've never known. People like contained fires are just walking around trying not to be put out. As the body enacts the trauma of the mind, the planet's moat deepens and swells, the hair brushing becomes difficult, as the rocks we used to sit on are swallowed up and our glamour diluted. Before long, we start drawing up plans for a new planet, without the design flaws of the last. Um, hi Ash, thank you hi. so much for coming. Hi, thank you for having me. That's awesome. How's your day going? It's going well, yeah. It's, uh, it's a lovely day. 
It is a lovely day. I think sometimes, I think this might be the best, winter's the best in Wellington, I fear. Yeah, yeah, which is a bit sad, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is really sad. Not really a beachy place. Um, now, I wonder if we could start with you introducing yourself, however you want to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah, um, kia ora, I'm Ash. I am a poet and editor. I live and work in Wellington. I've got two books of poetry out. The latest one, How to Live with Mammals, uh, came out from VUP in April. Um, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Thank you so much. So um, you've chosen two individual poems to talk about today as sort of a basis around which we can talk a little bit about um plot um which seems um I only chose plot because it begins with p and it fitted with the other (laughs) words but I guess you know this idea of narrative or um containers for information or however we're going to think about it I'm just wondering if you could describe both of the poems that you chose Mm, yeah so the poem from from of mine that I chose is called pool party um which also starts with peace so nice. <laughs> um, and I kind of picked it because it was one of the poems in my book that I could point to and say like this has a plot <laughs> yeah um, which I thought would be quite useful to talk about um, it's not something that I think is the case for all of the poems or even like maybe that many of them um, and so and I, I hadn't really thought about it that that much before so it was quite interesting going back and looking at things from that perspective Um, the other one that I picked is a poem by Mary Rufall called Kiss of the Sun which when I was kind of reading around and thinking about different poems we could talk about I just kept coming back to this one I think mainly like I just really love it it's one of my favorite poems but also it does some quite interesting things with narrative and both of these two poems as well start with kind of like a like a hypothetical situation in which like it's kind of like if this happens then what then the rest of the poem is like almost an experiment for what would happen if that that one like hypothetical thing happened um which I think is a really interesting way to look at narrative um especially in poetry because it can just be so kind of free and fluid Mm. um can I out you slightly also as an incredibly good short story writer (laughs) is that okay like I mean I don't know yeah yeah I mean I haven't written uh prose fiction in like years Mm. but um thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah I guess I've been privy to some of your work that um you know perhaps other Mm. people haven't been privy to but I just um I'm interested if, and you're also, like, I often see you recommending, reviewing, editing, reading um, prose as well. Mm. Do you think, and as a prose writer, I'm often reading poetry, do you think there's something free-flowing between the two forms? Like, is there a line at all between the two forms, do you think? Um, I think if there is a line, it's very kind of arbitrary and uh, and grey. I think people like to put lines there because it's, you know, as humans we like to we like to say <laughs> this is this thing and this is this thing and I know what they are and that makes it easier to look at. But um, I think a lot of, especially a lot of the writing that I am most interested in has like these kind of really fluid boundaries and categories and it doesn't really like confine itself to any particular thing. Um, one of my like favourite books that I've read in the past I was going to say recently but I think it was about two or three years ago that I read it um is Heather Crystal's The Crying Book which is like it's like a long form lyric essay that is also like partly kind of memoir and partly poetry and she's a like she's a poet by trade um and it it kind of yeah doesn't confine itself to any of those things so I really love it I love that idea that um prose and poetry do not actually have to be separate things as such because it's kind of more interesting to say like what what happens if you take those boundaries away than it is to say no this has to be this thing and this has to be this other thing um but yeah I guess for me plot and narrative is kind of one of the things that does separate them more mainly because when I 
when I read poetry, I think, or when I write poetry, I'm thinking less about plot and narrative than if I'm reading and writing prose. Um, but then obviously that's not the same for everybody, so. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, I think this is one of the things that I think, I, I just remember in um, the olden days um, when I did the M, oh no, it was after the MA, mm. we had a workshop that had poets and fiction writers in it, or prose writers in it, and I think that it was really interesting because the me, myself, would always look for what's happening in this poem, yeah. which isn't always an unuseful thing to say, because sometimes that happening is an emotional explosion or a visual image or something like that, um, and I guess I'm kind of interested in how, like if the whole world is outside of the poem and then that, there's a container which is the poem, how do you make decisions around when a poem starts, when it ends, when it's complete, I mm. guess, you know, like I guess as a prose writer there's a bit of a temptation to think, oh, that series of events has finished. But I'm just wondering how do you make decisions on when poetry's finished? Yeah, um... I don't really know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, I think that's something that um, I and a lot of poets that I know are still kind of trying to figure out, and every poem is is totally different. Um, I definitely am not thinking about it in that same way of, like, this is a, this is, yeah, this is a series of events that has come to an end. But I think a lot of it is more about... Um, kind of the flow of ideas and if like if the yeah if the ideas that you're exploring in the poem have kind of reached a natural stopping point or even I think part of it is like also um if you've come to a point in the poem where you have found something out through writing it that you weren't expecting like you've got into something emotionally or idea wise that you didn't know you were going to get to like that's kind of for me the point of of a lot of poems and um and so that's kind of the point where like you've reached a sense of closure I think um but yeah I don't really know kind of every time I write a poem I'm like is this done? Is this not done? I'm going to add another stanza. I'm going to delete two, like play around with it and then just see what what works best. And it's not always easy to say why something is working. Mm, mm, I mean, mm. I guess that's true with, with all writing to an extent, but yeah. Yeah, because I really, um, I, I spent a lot of years trying to look at um, sort of a priori rules, you know, mm. like, oh, right, now, um, you know, when we've done this, it's, you know, da-da. But I think more and more, and uncomfortably so, I sort of feel like it is more of that feeling. And I really love this idea of sort of coming to a moment and, you know, like the, the poem kind of revealing something in itself, yeah. which I think is really... Um, yeah, I think it's useful for because I I think a lot of I think a lot of um, well I know a lot of fiction writers I, I can only talk for myself but I often feel that way as well like I'll read something and I'll think ah oh, it wasn't that word you know like mm -hmm. I swapped that word over and over and it wasn't the right word in the end. Um, you talk about a really interesting structure in both of these, which I think is so true. That idea that it begins with a hypothetical mm. and then sort of sees that hypothetical out to the end. Can you talk a little bit about that, maybe in particular with either the Rufal poem or your poem? Yeah, um, I mean, I think in, uh, in like particularly the Rufal poem, I really love how it, um, it kind of goes back and forth on itself a lot. And there's all of these points where it says like if and like, you know, in case of this, or, you know, this seems like it will be the case. Um, and it's, it leaves a lot of freedom in there for, um, rather than saying kind of, these are the things that are happening, like this is a, this is a clear cut plot. Uh, it's kind of like, if this happened, then maybe this would happen, and then this. And yeah, I don't know, it's just, it, it's very fluid and, and open and, um, 
I just I find it really interesting how that works in there I can't really <laughs> I don't really know how to explain it <laughs> but I think I think I mean that's the great thing about it isn't it like I mean if I could if I could explain what was going on why I wrote the poem kind of mm. thing you know like there's definitely an overhang of my understanding not an overhang what's the right word I'm looking for there's a you know there's more in the poem than I can explain in words maybe yeah yeah and one of the things that I wonder, this this is probably a dumb idea, but the other thing about that, and I think your poem as well, is that this ifing and maybeing and I don't know, I think of it as quite provisional. Is provisional the right word? I don't know, but it, it feels quite, you know, like um, could go either way kind of language. Also makes me feel like it does this thing that poetry does that I'm not sure um, linear plot can do where it feels like more than one thing is happening at the same time or mm. one thing's possible at the same time. Yeah, um, I've kind of, I, I was thinking about this with like the idea of um, like choose your own adventure stories um, and kind of the fact that reading poems like this, um, there's a sense that like the, the poem is a kind of choose your own adventure where you're only getting, you're only getting one avenue but all of those other possibilities are still there and you're very aware of them. It's kind of like each time it gets to... Uh, gets to a point or an, an event I guess you could say the poem itself is aware that like it could go down a completely different path but it's not but it's making sure that you know that those paths are still there um, which I guess I mean I feel like maybe with prose especially like prose fiction your your job I mean I don't know your job is more <laughs> to like convince the the reader that like these are the things that happened and make them believe it whereas with poetry there's this more space for kind of like if this happened what would that look like whereas you know it didn't have to happen like this but that's just the way that this poem is exploring it um which yeah leaves so much room for kind of other avenues of thought and other like possibilities mm. yeah yeah and I think um yeah like you say like I just get this image when I read both poems is of it's interesting you say choose your own adventures because there's an amazing book um by Intan um Parathim and Nathan I think is the correct pronunciation and um like the sense of reading that book is that you feel the weight of all the other possibilities in the book, if you know what I mean, like mm. as you read through. And I think there's something of that in both your poem and the Mary Rufel poem as well, you know, and I love that idea because do you ever feel, I often feel like I'm fighting against the linear nature of language. Yeah. Yeah. But I notice in Pool Party there's some white spaces, there's some placement on the page there's more there's more freedom visually in poetry maybe I think so that's one of the things that I I mean that I like most about it that kind of draws me to it I think is that um there's just so much more like room to move around and kind of play with things um and obviously that's not to say that like prose can't do that Mm, mm, mm. but just that it um generally doesn't do it as much whereas poetry you can just kind of mess around with stuff and see what happens um which I find really fun (laughs) yeah um and yeah I mean with pool party it's kind of like just in terms of the like adventure idea um it's kind of like as the as the poem goes on these things that start out as possibilities become realized in the like internal poem logic so it kind of says something like maybe this thing and then because it said it, that becomes true within the poem, and then the rest of the poem exists in this world that accepts that as true. Um, and I kind of, I mean, I like that you don't necessarily have to um, have to work as hard, I guess, to prove those things as being true. Like I think maybe there's a bit more room for. Uh, asking your reader to suspend their disbelief in poetry whereas I mean I guess if there was a short story that kind of followed the same plot maybe you would have to fill in all of these like side details and everything that kind of made it believable Mm. whereas if I'm reading a poem and they say like oh yeah we've moved to another planet um I'm I just go all right okay so that's what's happening in this poem I don't 
I don't really question that because that's the way poems work. Like it just they have that kind of internal logic, uh, and you just trust it. And I think one one thing that I think is interesting, and I think um, I have learned from poetry possibly, is that often I think that I need to put more information in, but often when there's less information in, there's more reader buy-in or something. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's kind of like getting rid of extraneous detail, I guess, is quite a quite an important thing when you're writing poems that um, a lot of, I mean, when I did workshops, for example, in the MA with like the creative nonfiction writers and I kind of wanted, I always wanted to know like what else was happening and what, you know, what was going on around it. And it's kind of like, actually, if you get rid of those things, um, there's more room again for those possibilities. Like uh, if the poem kind of just gives you enough information that you can imagine those other things, then it, I don't know, it makes it such a such a more open reading experience. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I guess it's also about getting the right details because if you say like absolutely like if you if there's actually nothing in there then it's not going to work, but um getting like kind of the the right amount of specific things that then means the the gaps in the white space hold something without um, you needing to put it in there. Because that's something I really was interested in in both poems, is that when I finished the Rufal poem, all I could think of was the orange. Yes. And especially there's that amazing detail about the white, how does it call it? Like the yeah, white the, string. Um, the white thread, yeah. Yeah, and so I, I feel like that was some kind of anchor for me. And in yours, Weirdly, because I don't think it's the only concrete detail in there. It was the moat. Like, mm. you know, and the moat kind of does really excellent narrative. Well, for me, you know, being the dum-dum. But it, it <laughs> kind of does that excellent kind of plot work where the moat starts as one thing and changes to another, which gives us some kind of change thing, which might be what, you know, like we might have change-seeking um, brains. And... I also think what's interesting is the moat is so well chosen because, you know, for me it has connotations of a protective kind of thing, but mm -hmm. also it has connotations of war and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, um, and it's a great word. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's such a good word. <laughs> it's such a good word. And I kind of love the absurdity of the idea, like, <laughs> it doesn't physically work to have a moat around a planet, <laughs> but it's just such a, like... Yeah, something about how absurd it is makes it just so charming. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's something really interesting. Well, one of the things that I love about that poem of yours is that idea that it does, you know, like it does keep some playfulness in it. You know, like it, it, it does feel like that thing where you just think, oh, well, fuck you, I'm going somewhere else kind <laughs> of thing. And it just, I don't know, like there's some beautiful playfulness in there. Both of the poems kind of are imagining into the future and I feel like we're living at a time where the future is kind of collapsing into the present a little bit you mm. know like I think for a few years we thought oh the end of the world that's a long way away and <laughs> yeah now who knows yeah. um do you think either of them this is probably a dumb question do you think either of them borrow anything from the way that we think, like connotation, like the way that we think about the future, like I'm thinking about science fiction really. Mm. And I mean, that was something that hit me when I read your whole book is that I, I wonder if part of what I loved about it was that part of my brain that liked science fiction, that idea of imagining into a different kind of future and that kind of thing. But yeah, how do, what do you think is the relationship of the future in your poem like <laughs> yeah. you know the relationship of right now like is does any of that action take place in the right now to you and yeah like yeah I, I think um like particularly for pool party and a couple of the other poems in my book there were I mean there were times when I was writing uh this book when I was reading a lot about um 
about the climate crisis and about different ways that people were trying to kind of solve it. Um, so things about like geoengineering and stuff like that, but also the kind of like ridiculous idea of um, just like getting in a big spaceship and flying to Mars. Um, and then also the, the like stupid reality of the fact that if that were ever to happen, it wouldn't be like people like you and me that would be on the spaceship. It would be like Elon Musk and all the Silicon Valley guys. Like it would just be the the, the uber wealthy like tech people um, and then everybody else would just be here and the world, I mean, that wouldn't be like actually solving anything. It would just be sending all of these people away. Um, and I just, there's something so ridiculous about so many ways that people talk about the future and the possibilities of it that um, seem to me to kind of fail to grasp the reality of the world that we live in um, and kind of the like little gritty day-to-day details of it like this um, yeah the, the concept of of getting in a spaceship and going to a different planet um, is so like kind of 80s cult sci-fi to Mm, me mm. um that it it's ridiculous that it could be something that people think is an actual possibility as a as a way to move forward with like you know human human life and human evolution um that I can't help but find it a bit funny (laughs) (laughs) um I think the I think the Mary Rufal poem does something kind of similar but but in like you know a much more serious way because she's probably a bit less silly um (laughs) where it's kind of looking at this idea of like after everything has finished and humans are still you know we still have these kind of consciousness and everything but everything else is gone in this just big crowd um like then what happens which is such a huge existential question that obviously many many religions and and philosophers and everything have constantly tried to talk about but I absolutely I just love the concept of like the one important thing after all of that being like the connection between the the narrator and the poet and this person that they're talking to and maintaining that connection that was there before and the way to do that is by this orange which is such like a small we think of such a trivial thing um that is so special um and I I love that you said that after you read the poem the orange was the thing that you that stuck with you because I kind of when I read it I kind of see it in my head a little bit as this like very blurry gray set of scenes and then the one thing that really stands out as being very bright and crisp is this like bright orange um which makes the whole poem for me um yeah it's I kind of I find it hard to think about people writing things without considering the future at the moment because it's I mean it's just kind of everywhere (laughs) it's all I can think about and it's all so many people can think about is like the world that we're living in and where it's going um it's difficult to imagine creating things without thinking about that Mm. I don't know about you yeah I just love I love everything you said I I also was thinking in the rueful poem about that idea of that word reconstituted Mm. and the idea of thirst and the idea of dryness and I think that it's interesting that the moat is in your poem as well like when we are thinking about well I don't know I think about water constantly yeah I don't know it's just I get a little bit yeah, it's one of my big anxiety triggers is water. Um, and I do think one of the things that you're talking about really interests me. I've been reading a lot lately about the imagination and how it's a colonized space like everything else, you know, like, so, you know, in the past we've sort of thought of the imagination as like this, you know, like, I don't know, pure kind of weird thing <laughs> that exists outside history. Um, and that thing you're saying like about that 80s cult idea, sometimes when I talk to people I do wonder if there has been a feedback loop caused you know like I really do think that people might think there's something magical coming to save us yeah 
I think there's something um kind of innately human about that, isn't yeah, there? Like yeah. the idea, like even like the Deus Ex Machina thing of like it'll be all right because it just will be, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is not true. <laughs> but it's I think it it helps to believe that like it's kind of like a, a safe like a security blanket almost this idea of like everything will will turn out all right something will happen that makes it okay whether it's like you know the super smart scientists will figure something out that saves us or whether it's like I don't know aliens come down to earth I don't know <laughs> if anybody believes that but something will will happen that makes it all okay and it's I think it's quite a dangerous idea actually because it it perpetuates the the possibility that we can just kind of keep living life as it is uh, and things will be okay without us doing anything um, and then but that just means that things will kind of slowly just keep degrading uh, and actually the people that have the the power to do those things um, are not really doing anything mm. so yeah I don't know I, th- I think there is something quite dangerous about that but also something very very appealing about thinking you know there is some higher power of some kind whether it's spiritual or scientific or anything that will make things okay because I am just one human and I can't do it mm. um, but I th- yeah I think it's it gets in the way of more productive ways of thinking about like collective action or even just like putting responsibility on the the kind of institutions that it should actually be on um, to do something. Mm. And this is what I think is so um, like, this is one of the incredible things about your book is that um, I really felt like it changed me reading the book. And I think that what's interesting about it being a poetry collection is that I think I was allowed to um, experience certain emotions outside of the story, if Mm. you know what I mean, like outside the events and Mm -hmm. outside there were little connections being made like neurologically as well as emotionally and I think that it was quite an interesting experience for me reading it because you know I would step up from reading it and I would see the world slightly differently and that seems like a massive thing to ask of you know like yes you have to do that but I kind of feel the same way about the Mary Rufel poem and I do wonder if it's something about this kind of um a plot nature you know a plot as in not plot not narrative operating somewhere yeah. outside I don't know yeah is that a silly thing to think Maybe no no I um I was thinking about this um it made me think about Vivian Gornick's mm. the situation in the story which I read a couple years ago and I probably like distorted it in my mind and people who know it really well will I think I've missed the point completely. But um, just the kind of idea of, like, the, the situation being, like, the actual events and, like, I think, um, I don't know, she calls it, like, raw experience or raw matter or something. Um, the events that are happening and then the story being kind of, like, the the emotional flow through and the, the voice that is there. And I think something... I mean, she's writing about... Um, like about non-fiction and particularly memoir in that book um but I think what I find really interesting about poetry is that it doesn't have to have both of those things and that there doesn't have to be like a situation um I was reading Mark Ledner's new book recently um Returning the Sword to the Stone and like some of the poems in that book are just just like a list of images or like a list of similes that are kind of absurd and ridiculous and they they flow on from each other because when you put all of those things next to each other they kind of have a meaning together but there's no narrative sense there's no actual events that you could point to um 
and I think that's the case with a lot of poems um, where there's a a sort of I don't know flow of energy of some kind whether it's like emotional or language or what but there's no actual plot um, I forget where we started off with the question <laughs> that was amazing <laughs> that, you, that was amazing because yeah I, I think that that and the thing is that I think poetry often plays with that as mm. well. Like, I mean, um, pool party starts, and I think the rueful poem starts in a way that doesn't feel dissimilar to a conventional story, you know. And yeah. then, like you say, like it, it builds on this, you know, the nature to be able to have two things happening at the same time, the nature of the ifs and the whens and stuff like that. And then... Yeah, it, it 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 almost like having brought our connotation, you know, having brought us to this place where we think this is going to happen, mm-hmm. by undermining it, there's like this, there's all sorts of, you know, um, there's all sorts of stuff happening, like you say, which gives that, you know, I I often get the feeling. What I love about poetry is often it does feel like being plopped somewhere and then like digging your way out or swimming your way out or and I just I really love that it's a different I feel different when I'm reading you know um actually that's not true I think those lines like you said are not are not as clear-cut but I think the writing that I enjoy the most is the stuff where I'm like what what you know like yeah (laughs) what do you call it burning palette writing or something yeah yeah. like you're kind of figuring it out as you go because there's also that sense that the writer is almost figuring it out as they go um, and that allows you and them to get to like this kind of wonderful new place that you never expected to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you maintain that in revision? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I don't know, like, and, and maybe you don't revise, maybe. Oh, you, I definitely like... revise, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I spend a lot of time editing. Um, it, it blows me away those people that can just kind of like write something and then like write it to the deadline and, and just <laughs> write it on the day like um, like Rebecca Hawkes yeah oh, incredible she blows my mind um, <laughs> uh, no I don't know what it is I think I think there's a sense when you kind of come back to something that um, I normally kind of write something and then leave it like a couple of days before I look at it so when I look at it again it's like with a fresh brain and it's almost like I'm reading something that somebody else has written. Nice, yeah. Um, so then that kind of process of of like figuring out it as you go, it's like I'm experiencing that from a, from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I can still maintain that rather than it being, you know, kind of like old and, and like I've read this a million times. Um, and sometimes that is one of the hardest hardest parts of writing I think is when you've been looking at something for so long that you don't even know what to do with it anymore because it's just so in your head um, and I, yeah I think that the best or for me the best way to get around that is always like to take some time away from it come at it with a fresh brain and then you get to see all those things again and figure out how they're working and how to make them better um, and the way that you're describing revision is kind of a little bit I always think of revision as quite a um generative kind of thing like I think um I don't know like I often think of it like memory like it's you know how memory Mm. you don't go to a locked box and look at your like my first day at school you know like every time I remember my first day at school I'm I'm adding to it all the life that I've had since my first day at school and I think I really wonder if revision is a bit like that I don't know. And I love that idea, the way you're building that connection between like reading and writing, mm. really. Like it's sort of, is it, you know, like what I'm recognising, which might not be what you're saying, is that idea that I sort of swing from reader to writer to reader to writer, which I think is yeah. really interesting. Because I think, I mean, for me at least, they're, they're so connected. Like um, when I am writing, I am not thinking about like, you know specific people reading it or like a an audience but I am thinking about how it sounds and how it reads to somebody that has never read it before um and something that I do 
often as well as like as I'm going I will read things out loud because it sounds new to your ear than it does in your brain and that's a way of like yeah constantly kind of thinking about it from a new perspective because it's I don't know it just seems like the most effective way of figuring out what's working and, and what's not working and coming coming to it with like fresh ideas um I don't know I mean when you when you write like when you revise do you what do you how does your process work do you kind of come at something like right away and go eat it as you go or do you leave it and then come back to it that's a really good question I my preferred thing is to leave it and Mm -hmm. come back to it but sometimes yeah sometimes I do need to look at it a lot and I think I don't know whether it's often I need like an emotional trigger to remember those things that you're talking about like Mm. sometimes I'll come to it I'm just like what the and so I often will have like a song or an image or something like that that I'm like oh this is for this chapter you know Mm -hmm. this this is what I'm aiming for so that sort of thing happens but I really love what you're saying about this idea for years I was very arrogant I was actually talking to Richard Larson about this um I was quite arrogant about audience I was like oh you know I don't write for an audience you know like oh my god um but what I love now is that I think of it more as a conversation and mm. that thing you're talking about, like I don't imagine a particular person or anything like that, but I imagine the act of listening or the act of hearing it. And I think, um, yeah, and I definitely do the out loud thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm a mumbler. I'm often <laughs> walking around the house mumbling. <laughs> um, but because I do think that hearing it does something different to seeing it. Um yeah, it's it's such an interesting process and I love the way you've described it. Like I just think yeah, I think it's really it's such a strange thing. You know, and everybody is yeah. different and every day is different in yeah. a way as well. You and know. every piece of work also especially like I mean with poetry I think kind of because there's so much freedom to do so many different things and like even some of the things we're talking about with like either poems that have a narrative and have events or that don't or that kind of have like a semblance of something or the suggestion of something it's like every poem could be doing something completely different which is what I find so exciting about it but also means that like every time I come to write something I'm like (laughs) I have no idea how to write this (laughs) I'm making it up um which yeah which is exciting but also quite terrifying (laughs) and I think like I mean that's kind of the only place I want to be I I mean like I want to be in that high wire act of ah nope couldn't do it um yeah I think it's really interesting one part of revision that occurs to me is putting the poems in order for the book Mm. and um I'm wondering do you have a sense what I, I've only the uh, the only similar thing I've done is short stories, and in that, you know, occasionally I'd get a sense of it needing a little bit more, and maybe writing another short story for it, or that kind of thing. And I'm just wondering, what what can you remember what that process was like for How to Live with Mammals? Like, yeah, yeah, um, it was quite quite a long kind of extended process because I had. I had a bit of a crack at it when I handed my MA thesis in, which a lot of these poems are from that. Mm, mm. And so I kind of sequenced it for that um, to what I thought was working and then came back to it a few months later um, to kind of revisit it and took a lot of the poems and um, and some extra things and like rebundled it together for a manuscript. Um, <clears throat> but I, just, I was definitely thinking when I was putting them all together of like a a kind of overarching um, like emotional narrative arc, I guess, Um, which I don't know how much that even comes through, but I think part of it is like, there's a lot of poems that are in there about uh, like domestic life and about relationships uh, and also about like kind of different ways of of thinking about the world and you know anxiety and, and the future and everything um and so I kind of tried to put them together uh in a way that 
made sense for like a an emotional narrative for at least how I felt about the poems whether or not that comes through um because yeah I don't know it's definitely like there's some poems in the book that I was in like a completely different emotional state when I wrote that I think definitely needed to be like you know like these are early book poems these are kind of beginning of the process these are beginning of the emotional thinking and then poems that were like well this is those emotions so much developed and so yeah does that make any sense it makes (laughs) so much sense because like just as you said that like my when you said an emotional arc, I was mm. thinking, oh, happy to sad, sad to happy, um, I don't know, like angry to resolved. Mm. But what I love about what you said is that it sounds more like one emotion to the more developed. And I really think that is a, f- I think that that um, there's definitely an, like one of the things I loved is that I had time the first time I read it I had time to sit down and read the whole thing all at once and Mm -hmm. like I definitely got that sense it was like welcome to this (laughs) you know emotional landscape you know oh come and see the mountains come and see the trees okay now you know this emotional landscape a little bit better which I think it it was a very satisfying read Mm. you know which I think often is what you know, I do wonder when I think, oh, how do I know it's finished? Is it satisfaction? But then also it's not a complete landing because, you know, there's still a little bit of, you know, which I think is what I want. I don't want to walk away going, okay, bye, see ya. Won't come back here again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting that you say about like a, um, like a happy to sad or like angry to, you know, um, because I think that that was something that, I talked about with somebody when I was sequencing the the book as I was like I don't want it to start out like you know start out sad and really anxious and everything and and finish super happy and hopeful because that's not how I feel (laughs) that's just not realistic um yeah but I I don't want it to go the other way like I don't want to start out you know this all happy blah 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 and then just leave everybody incredibly depressed when they finish the book um and I think that like that is the way that people tend to think about emotional arcs in in narratives but that's not how like life kind of works so and especially with some of the things that I was thinking about when I was writing this book about like you know sustainability and conservation and like the climate crisis like it's again like it's not a helpful way to look at things is is to um is to go from, you know, completely distraught to super hopeful all the other way around because that's not realistic. Um, so I, I was, I tried to be really conscious about avoiding that kind of thing mm. because I just, it felt like um, there's this, there's this part in this book, um, The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells, where he talks about the human kind of narratives that we have and the ways that we understand things through narratives and how they can't be applied to uh, the climate because we're so used to these things where like you know there's like one hero that solves saves the day or something like that or maybe like um I don't know like all of these different ways that we see narratives occur in in the media around us and even in like uh in real life the way that we understand things that just can't be applied to this crisis and that's why people shut off from it because we don't have like our brains just don't have a way of of thinking about it easily um and I yeah so I really wanted to avoid kind of falling into those traps and I think it's it's really it's cool to see um, so many writers and artists like engaging with those ideas because it does kind of force you to find new ways of thinking about narrative because it just doesn't fit. Like you can't write like a novel about you know the rising sea levels where like one guy swoops in and just fixes everything because it's not possible. Um, yeah, so it brings us to just completely new like necessary ways of thinking about narrative which involve like 
collective responses and community things and just, I don't know, really interesting new ways of looking at it. Mm. And you see, this is what's so interesting, you know, like about the Rufal poem Mm. is that, you know, and I think yours to a certain extent is that idea that um, they both begin in these ways that feel like they might be going in one of those narrative directions Mm. and like both of them seem to yeah like um lean towards something collective and something connected and something you know and what I think is also great about what you're talking about like this this arc of the book is that um as you I think that complication is good you know what I mean and I think that uh, that's definitely a sense I got in there as well as as you look closer things become more particular and more complicated you know and that's okay you know and I think that that again kind of reminds us that possibly you know the answers aren't going to lie in a in in, you know like beginning middle end kind Mm. of you know sense yeah it almost reminds me I was just thinking about some of the explosions that happened after the second world war like I'm sorry that's a bad use of the word but like you know like some of the challenges that um you know Beckett and people like that put towards you know like narrative yeah so this is a question anytime I get someone in a room who has um you know makes art um I'm interested in ideas of how to make a career in writing sustainable um you um have produced two books of poetry um you know, like, I'm, I'm wondering, I guess the question I'm asking, and you can answer it however you want, is around ideas of how you keep writing, what's important to you to keep you writing. Um, um, I'm interested in money, but you don't have to talk about money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, no, actually, that's quite interesting in relation to your book, because what I'm interested in is how we feed and clothe ourselves. And yeah. I think that you're more more not even clothe let's go naturalist but you know how how we get how we we stop ourselves from dying yeah Yeah, how we survive and I think that the book offers a couple of really interesting well lots of interesting alternative ways of looking at that Mm. so with that big word dump that I've just done is there anything you want to say about any of those things yeah I mean in terms of um continuing to write and kind of what what keeps you writing I mean uh think personally like I've, I've had some kind of big gaps of just not writing mm-hmm. and that can be very stressful um and <laughs> and kind of you know all of these feelings of uh of like guilt or failure around them because you you kind of feel like well I have to I have to keep writing you know like make jokes about like actually I've, I don't write poems anymore like I'm re- I've retired um <laughs> because it's been like three months since I've written anything but actually like it's kind of useful to to have that time away uh and then when you come back to it um you've got all of this like new new time new thoughts that have um that have accumulated in your brain that you can do something new with and um for me I mean having finished this book and having uh like had it come out it feels kind of like a like a bit of a closure on that project and um now what I'm doing or trying to do is move into kind of new ways of writing um for me and maybe I mean it's very like early days but I kind of starting to write maybe some essays um kind of like you know poetic essays like things we're talking about with like you know what a what a genre is anyway um and I think that that is part of it is is finding new things that interest you and that you want to explore um but also I mean in terms of poetry like like I'm still writing poems occasionally and that is never me going down like sitting down and saying all right well it's time to write a poem that's (laughs) always just like you know something comes into my head and I write it down and then I keep going and then there's a poem there and I'm like how did that happen (laughs) um and yeah so I don't know I don't know what keeps people writing aside from just kind of the fact that they are writing um (laughs) (laughs) uh in terms of like 
living and surviving um I think it's really it's really hard to find the right kind of balance of like work that uh sustains you financially and keeps you you know fed and housed um if if you have the luxury of being housed um and work that kind of really excites you and, and makes you really happy um and some people have i guess have the luxury of doing both of those things at the same time um but for most people that i know it's about like working a day job that you kind of like uh but mm, it's maybe not what you want to spend all your time doing um and then finding time outside of that to do creative work which is actually your priority but it has to be pushed to the side which is never ideal um and i f i just imagine like the kind of amazing plethora of creative work we'd be getting if people could put all their time into it but then on the other hand i think maybe some of what makes that work so great is that it is being forced into these kind of strange small spaces uh I don't I don't know I'm still trying to figure it out <laughs> yeah I think I think like I think obviously we all are <laughs> yeah I don't know I'm, I'm yet to meet someone who just goes oh yeah this is it I've got yeah. it together it's totally together yeah and I think um you know what what's so I just want to ask just I, there's a question that's burning my brain and I hope it's okay to ask yeah, yeah. I think that because I generally work in I'll say book length, you know what I mean? Like, I, mm. you know, like that's, I'm working on that project and it all fits in this basket. Yeah. Do you, like, whereas like I have this idea that sometimes people are, um, you know, writing small things and then their obsessions will, you know, order that into a book or order yeah. it into some kind of container. But I'm wondering... I f that to me is extremely exciting because it feels like there's this freedom to wander a little bit and then for the work to tell you what it looks like if it's going to be a book or what it looks like if it's going to be a collection of things. So I don't know, like when you're writing, it might be too early for me to ask, but when you're writing these things, do you wait for something to appear to, for it to order it or do you think, right, I'm writing work about, you know, um, I guess I like I don't have the time or the like mental space at the moment to to look at something in a in a book length mm. project like mm. I, I wish I wish I did um, but it is just like uh, writing about well like writing kind of shorter pieces and then um, I guess like it, it is kind of like obsessions of like I'm gonna keep I know I'm gonna keep writing about this thing because it's what I'm thinking about um, and hopefully I guess that just kind of comes together in a book length thing or maybe it doesn't um, because the there's that as well isn't there like I think I always feel bad talking you know like this obsession of the book as a <laughs> container for work yeah. whereas like um, you know I did a course a couple of weeks ago a fantastic course um, and yeah, it was definitely about, oh, actually, you can look at someone's work as this bit, this bit, this bit, you know, from mm. disparate places, um, you know, it can be performed, it can be, you know, and I think, yeah, I think that I think is what, I think this is what I'm hankering for, is this idea that I'm thinking in, I don't know, I've been watching Fast and the Furious again, you know, like I'm thinking in like quarter of a mile kind of stretches, whereas right. I think, you know, it seems really exciting that um, it could be, this is what I'm writing today, and oh, this is interesting, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I guess it feels a lot more, um, a lot more kind of random and disparate, mm. and, and also sometimes um, like you're not, working towards anything <laughs> um but yeah uh that that's not the case I think as long as you keep going um with with this book with how to live with mammals like I had the you know the, the huge luxury of of writing during my MA which mm. does enable you that space to kind of think as like a whole project um but even like the work that I was doing before that and and after that when I was like you know working 40 45 hours a week 
um, and then also doing all these other things, it still fits in with the work I did during my MA thematically, and some of those things are in the book. Mm, um, mm. And I, yeah, I guess it's kind of like people write about the same things over and over as a way of like figuring them out and figuring out how they think about them. Um, and like I personally can't imagine not writing about like you know the, the environment and animals and plants because it's just what I'm interested in. Hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love the way you're talking. Like that to me feels very relatable. Like this idea that writing is part of living rather than something that happens outside of living mm. you know like um you know the things that I'm processing processing <laughs> the things that I'm thinking about and interested in and trying to work out and try and live through are also the things that leak into my writing and writing yeah. is almost like another version of you know like working that out like it's almost like a to-do list in some ways or it's like all these things bringing us full circle back to those two poems that thought experiment of if I did do this, what would it look like? Yeah. Which I think is just, I don't know, like I, I've been toying with this idea all year that everything's writing, you know, that like it's it's a way for me to feel okay about a lot of the things that I do because I used to do things and think, oh, I wish I was writing. But actually maybe what I'm doing, there's no way of doing the writing without the stuff that I'm doing. I agree, I yeah, I think so. Um, and I think I'm with with poetry I think that's especially the case because like I mean when it comes down to it like it's the word count is is not mm. huge like mm. you don't actually need to spend you know eight hours a day sitting typing because there's you don't need that many words um but I think like about six hours of that is the thinking that you are doing which you are possibly doing while you're doing other stuff um and without that six hours spent the two hours like writing and rewriting and rearranging the words on the page and you know hitting tab and then backspace over and over that is meaningless because you don't have anything to actually put in there mm. um yeah I think like the the whole the kind of fantasy of like you know moving to a tiny cottage in the in the woods somewhere and like living just by yourself and, and writing all day every day and then like sending it by carrier pigeon or whatever to your publisher <laughs> is very very lovely but I think um like I just can't imagine what you'd actually write about because mm. there's nothing <laughs> nothing to go in there oh my god thank you so much because <laughs> I have been I mean honestly the last couple of months I've just been thinking do I want a cottage in the world like I don't know and it's that weird thing where I always think yeah, yeah I'll do that like I could like I would know how to do that like, <laughs> you know like I always think these things are available when they're not yes thank you so much Ash thank you it's been wonderful talking to you your book is amazing thank you for the um, beautiful poem by Mary Rufal and yeah thanks heaps thank you so much okay so this is a um, perhaps trademark Pip Adam convoluted idea but this is what I've been thinking about. So Ash and I talk a bit about how much explanation um, or description or detail you can actually strip out of a work um, but still conjure an imagined or different reality. So this is kind of my exercise. Um, one approach to it is to simply start writing and not allow yourself any forms of description. Another way to do this is um, the way that I had to go with it is that I free wrote for two minutes just brainstorming the place, everything I knew about it. Then um, I spent three minutes leaning hard into the idea of description um, and almost sort of um, got like kind of this scientific idea as if I was writing a report about the place. Then um, I did three minutes free writing where I leaned into the idea of not allowing myself any of the words that I'd used in that free writing where I was leaning into description. So um, what was interesting for me is that I began writing about plot. I had to sort of imagine the world through action and scenario rather than um, through description. 
And then I, I spent three minutes just sort of writing whatever I wanted to. Um, another way to do it is m- you might like to um, write a list of all the things you know about, the, all the words associated with that world and then not let yourself use those in a free writing exercise. You might like to choose one image or um, object from that world and try to give a sense of the whole world through that object or image. So yeah, um, yeah. See how you go with that. And um, thank you very much. <laughs>